This is Real Talk, the Customer Insights Show with Jen Vogel, a top-rated live stream and podcast in the market research and insights industry. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen on all major podcast channels. Join Jen and her guests for a weekly discussion around topics that will help you understand your customers better. Real Talk is presented to you by Vox Popme, the leader in video research and ranked number one in qualitative research by GRIT two years running. Here's today's conversation. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand your customers better. I'm Jen Vogel. Welcome to the show. I just want to say a quick Happy Thanksgiving to those of you coming back from break last week. Happy Hanukkah. Um, we are officially at the start of the holiday season, so I hope everybody's taking good care of themselves this time of year. Um, so happy to be back live with you guys today. I want to talk today about asking demographic questions. Um, the Insights Association recently released the evolution of demographic questions. And today I'm joined by two research veterans, Chakaya Robertson and Shannon Danzi, who sit on the association's Idea Council, which authored the report. So welcome to the show, Chakaya and Shannon. Thanks for having us. So Thank pleased you. to have you today. Okay. Um, and I'm excited to talk about this report that you guys um, helped to author with the, uh, with the Idea Council. Um, and so maybe just to kick us off, can you each tell us a bit about yourself, your experience in the industry? Um, maybe Shannon, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, so I have started working this year for an issue-driven communications firm called Rally. Our clients include um, Black Lives Matter and a California Wellness Foundation, and I lead their research and insights. My experience is mostly at communications agencies, and I specialize in brand strategy, market research with a specialty in online qualitative research and multicultural markets. Fantastic. Chikaya, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. So I'm the current uh, lead of our talent and organization research team within Accenture Research. So I'm an applied experimental psychologist by training. My doctorate is focused on measurement, evaluation, and psychometrics. So I eat, live, breathe, and sleep this. I'm excited mm -hmm. about it. I've been doing and talking about this for over 25 years, and I'm just super enthusiastic about insights, and in particular, the opportunity <clears throat> to talk about how to create better insights, especially now in today's age where everyone is uh, looking to to give everyone the right voice in our research and insights. So really, just really excited to be here and speaking with you and uh, Shannon. Amazing. Now, what what sparked you both to get involved with the Idea Council? Have you been involved with Insights Association prior to that? Or, you know, how did that come about for you guys? I'll take that first. Um, I've been a member for Insights Association for, for a little bit. Um, the reason why I got involved um, with Idea Council is that just generally is based on my experience. Um, so Takaya's, I've only met Takaya through this council, which is shocking because, you know, it's someone's I should have come across years ago. So what do I mean by this? Meaning that I'm not seeing a lot of people who look like me in the industry. And I have seen an exodus of people who look like me from the industry. And that's a problem. It's a problem for, uh, from a number of angles, both from being able to be mentored by someone 
who has experiences related to you to be able to get advice from people who have succeeded who look like you. Now, granted, you can have mentorship from everybody, but there is something that is unique about being able to talk to someone who has had similar experiences um, as, as you. Mm-hmm. From, a, from a second place, similar to what Takai was saying in her introduction, the lack of maybe not necessarily caring, but sort of expertise. And I guess, I guess I will say caring in terms of making sure that our research is also inclusive and our research can't be inclusive unless our industry is inclusive. So for those reasons and for several other reasons, or, but those two are the main reasons why I got involved. So I sit on the Idea Council of Insights Association. And I also founded um, the Inclusive Culture Committee at QRCA, which serves a similar mission, which is to take a look at our industry, do what we can to make our part of the industry more inclusive, more aware, more educated, and then help to bring in more people of diverse backgrounds, not just race, but gender identity, um, et cetera, et cetera, so that the people that we research are reflected in the people who do the research. Amazing. That's so important. We've heard so many stories of, you know, examples of where that comes into play. Um, And I I, definitely something that this and our industry has some work to do in that area. Um, Chikaya, what made you get involved with the Idea Council? Similar to what uh, Shannon said, it's so funny because before, right, before 2020, I I was hard pressed to find others that look like me in research. And it had been that way as an IL specialization, industrial and organizational psychology specialization. I'd be the only one in the room. A lot of times I'll be the only female in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with the pandemic, it's amazing what 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 that did for my kind of social network. Mm -hmm. I I've met a hundred Shannons, right? I'm like, where have you been all my life? Where have you been all of my professional life? I just don't know. So we talk about it all the time. Had it not been for the Insights Association, we may not have met them. We may have all been in our uh, separate corners trying to fight the good fight. For me, it is the Idea Council was, uh, was a godsend, really, because it is a way to dig deep into our industry and speak to the folks that are doing this kind of work every single day and be able to influence how we research in the future. And I think that opportunity doesn't come along every day. And I think an anti-racism task force popped up in every organization known to man. There's not enough of us to go around, right? So trying to do better by uh, diversifying the industry is a, is a passion of mine, but even more so because I'm a quant geek. I'll say that anytime I talk publicly, um, being able to serve up insights that reflects all people, right, and not just race. I, I don't think anybody wants to be pigeonholed as just a race researcher, because I'm certainly not that bigger than that. But it is important to have different viewpoints. And so the Insights Association allowed that opportunity. So before 2020, I think I was uh, on a mission to to really evangelize a little bit more about research. And I went to the CRC. Someone said, you got to go CRC. You got to you gotta go talk there. And I was denied. I was like, denied? What? I've never denied. So I just... <laughs> Laser focused in on Art, who was uh, who is the marketing person who was responsible for the content. And I just wore him down, and I've been I've been you know just involved with Insights Association ever since, and it's just been one of the best decisions I've ever made. That's fantastic. It's a true Poor story Art. Too. Poor I Art. I believe I mean, it. I know I he's totally- like, 
Call Here comes Takaya again. <laughs> you will not ignore me. I will get into nah, your conference. Hey, I can totally see it. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and so um, now within the idea council, what kind of sparked you guys to start with or to focus on demographic questions as a as something to to put out into the industry? You know, I'll start this one. Shannon has been leading the way. Thank you, Shannon. I, I play <laughs> off of you, so I'd like you to go first because then I can say, well, let me get some kind of better answer because she's, she's good. Um, so for me, demographic this is so big, like the whole show can be on this, but the demographic questions are so important because the first thing that we want to do as researchers is say, oh, let's do a gen pop. We're going to get a thousand people representative margin of errors plus or minus three. And then that's it. But it's really not it because not only there's two things that I think we miss, not only are insights meant to elevate the voice of the, the populations that we're serving, it's it's actually meant to also allow people from different backgrounds to, and, and as much as we can without bias, to interject and, interject and contextualize the insights, whether you have the right sample or not. But the sample questions are so important because there's really practical decisions that you have to make. It costs more, so some, you know, some decide, we're not gonna go that deep, but we don't have the budget, let's just do it quickly. But the more that we do that, the less justice we do in our insights. You cannot create a sustainable um, product development program of research, advertising program of research, if the demographic questions don't reflect true in heart and identity with who we're trying to influence. So it's kind of like trying to you know, create better pies and you never talk to the pie maker. So for me, we have to decide how do we ask the questions that will bucket people into meaningful groups or segments? Now, it's never right. And I say there is no one standardization. I think this effort is about where do we start and how do we give guidance until we collect the data that does help us to get to a point where, hey, okay, for this use case, you should ask these questions. For that use case, in every demographic question, I would say people will probably shudder, Shannon will probably shudder. Every demographic question is not required for every survey. At the end of the day is what are your hypotheses? What do you need to test? And then to help counteract the whole, well, we can't afford to do it right. Let's just do it quickly, right? Mm -hmm. What is the goal? And then you, you set forth the right demographic questions to get the right sample for that purpose. So I don't think there is a standard one size fit all, but I think the the white paper starts to give um, resources mm -hmm. for those decisions that we have to make as researchers. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think any of us can have missed the fact that there's an evolution happening. So in terms of terminology, in terms of the way that people want to be identified, the way that people want to be called, um, you can't not see that happening like in the blogs that we read, the newspapers, TV shows from our, our colleagues and employees. So take what Kaya said as the base and then pile on top of that what's happening in, in our lives right now. You can't not afford to take a look at this. And I think because of those two reasons, the base and the evolution, excuse, excuse the sirens in the background, it's critical that we take a look at this. And that's why 
the idea council decided it was important for us to take not take a stand but to put it out there in the industry to get the industry to take notice and to begin to question and evaluate what they're doing within their own companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and really starting with demographic questions, it's, it feels very foundational, right? Like, like you got to get this right first. <laughs> and I think a lot of businesses out there are looking for this kind of guidance, you know, because to your point, like these Ter the terminology and, and, and the words that people are using and how we identify is changing. And I think businesses are looking for help. You know, everyone seems to be, you know, they want to do the right thing. We're afraid to do or say the wrong thing. And so having some sort of guidance out there from an association like Insights Association is so important to the industry. Because to your point, Shakaya, like it doesn't necessarily mean that there's one size fits all or that this is how you do it across the board for every study. But at least there's some guidance in place so that those who are trying to do it right have, have some resource. Um, and I think that's really important. Yeah, that's true. And I think uh, just, to, just to round out that question, resources, right? How do I do it? You know, if, even if I step outside of just the demographic questions for 30 seconds, we're trying to figure out how to do research, period, more inclusively, you know, from the language to the questions to the hypothesis, the whole research cycle, right? And I think having a place to start until you get it right was the right thing to do, right? Because uh, in, in my formal day, former days, I used to be a bit of a perfectionist. I learned that I'm never going to be perfect. So I, I threw that to the wayside. And I think for something like this, it really is, what's the best that we have today? And then once we go out and do what we're calling research on research in the paper is, okay, well, if I have a, a question on race, um, it we might be right? In a place where we're making people uncomfortable having to check a box that was a lot of, uh, there, but really doesn't really um, reflect, I guess is the right word, reflect who I am as a person, because the option isn't there. Sure. And that's why we're trying to do it right, right? What, what are all the options? I may look black, right? But I could be 14 different things from a nationality mm -hmm. to a race to an ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And if we don't allow a survey, something as simple as a survey instrument, give me the ability to express who I am, right? In a bucket, if you have to put me in a bucket, then we're not doing the right thing. And so I think part of this effort is how do we do the right thing by the people that we're asking? And if we do that, we can't force adopt the industry to do so. But what we can do is our responsibility as researchers, responsible researchers to say, hey, we've actually researched what people want to be called and how they want to be bucketed. You know, if you're responsible, you'll pay attention to that and start to change your methods. Change is hard um, and it's going to take a long time. But I think the biggest thing in the last 18 months is nobody's perfect, own where you are, and then build from there. And I think if everybody just starts there, not continue with some of the I don't want to call them excuses because they're not. They're real issues. If you got a $100,000 budget and to do this right, it's going to take $300,000. You have to start making some trade-off decisions. And that's why it's not, you know, one size fits all. But we, we have to get to a point where the research and the, the suggestions and the recommendations that we make have to be based on research, right? Yeah. Not just because we've been doing it for a long time. We, can been, we could be doing it for a long time the wrong way. 
and many of us have been. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's been true for a long time that we've been you know, probably aware we were doing it the wrong way. And so we started putting in just an option for other, for everything. Like, oh, we know this question isn't inclusive. So we'll make it inclusive by saying other, which just by its own nature says, I'm other than. I'm an other. And that's a problem. Like how many of us realize that? I know you have a really strong opinion on that, Shannon, so I'll let you come chime in. (laughs) No, I'd love to hear your opinion. I mean, I have an opinion on that, too. I'd love to hear what you think about that. Yes, I'll get to the other in a second, but I just wanted to add on a couple of things about the paper. So one, that the paper is not saying that this is the way. Hmm. The way questions are being asked are still evolving, too, and there's still lots Mm -hmm. of research that's being done. So I just want to put put it out there. The paper... It is a summary of what are the best practices right now and some thoughts on what is the best way to apply them to the research that we do. And two, because Kakaya is the quant, quant lady and I'm gonna be the qual lady, these questions apply equally to um, screeners in our qualitative research as well. Um, but to the other, the question of other, who the <laughs> hell wants to be called other? Mm-hmm. I mean, even from uh, as, as a black black person, you know, we dealt with that years ago and we're still being, we're still dealing with being othered right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of what sort of sparked, unfortunately, this renew, this interest um, where this interest should have been interested in mm-hmm. years, decades ago. Um, but nobody wants to be called other. It neutralizes you. It says that you are not as valuable as, as other people. Um, and it just sort of ignores you as as a human being, and nobody should nobody should want want that, and nobody should be called that, and nobody should have to check that other box. Yeah. So in terms of like recommendations, others shouldn't be there. <laughs> Instead, you should allow that person to define themselves. So if you don't believe you're capturing all of different options, then you put in an option that allows the person is either completely open end or a phrase, I believe we have it in, in the paper as I identify as, and mm-hmm. let that person fill it out. Now, granted, that's going to potentially give you a lot of open ends. We have great coding software, so it yeah. shouldn't be that much of a problem. And being able to see how people are identifying will help you customize your survey or your screener so that the next time around, you're going to be more inclusive. You're, actually, you're going to be more accurate in getting the people that you want um, in your study. And you're going to make people who are taking your study feel that they are seen and more want to participate in your study to be able to take that survey to be able to show up at that focus group facility because they're going to say this company gets me and at the end of the day isn't that what we want as a brand as a company it's branding one-on-one you want that person to be part to come to you to want you and the only way they're going to do that is if they see that you as a company or brand value you and want you and that the other box does not do that yeah. I mean, it, it really fits in with this kind of move towards having a bit more empathy for survey respondents. You know, stop calling it sample. Stop calling them survey respondents. Like, they're people. Participants. participants, right. Like, these are real people who, you know, if we show them that we care about them as individuals, then they're going to be more thoughtful in their response to us. And we can then 
make better business decisions based on the information we're gathering. And that's so important. This is like the theme of the last 18 months across mm -hmm. so many different areas of the mm -hmm. industry is just more empathy, more empathy for each other, for our customers, for our people that are taking our surveys. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. And and what you're describing, I mean, it, it feeds right into that, right? Like let people know we care about who you are as an individual and you can, we're going to give you space to identify how you identify and not going to force you into a specific box or another, um, which is, you know, seemed like a good idea at the time, maybe. But, <laughs> but now when you talk about it, it's like, oh, God, that does just feel so like just separating people, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, so the challenge with demographic questions generally, um, yeah. you know, whether whoever started it, if you want to say it was a census or what have you. Yeah you're forcing people to box themselves in and nobody identifies as, as one thing. We are multiple things. We move through different identities. Um, and that's just something that we're going to have to address. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I just add on something there? Of course. We are multiple things, but you know, the funny thing is when, when Shannon and I just showed up two black women with the same hairstyle braids. Okay. I mean, by all intents and purposes, we look like the same people, but we are so different. I mean, whether we're parents or not, or whether we live in the city or the suburb, or whether I me, mean, I think this is just starting to get at this at the surface mm -hmm. of really treating people as humans for whom whose opinion we truly want to understand. Mm -hmm. And after it's all said and done, and I just say this, this probably should have been said at the end of the interview, but I'm just going to go with it since I've already started. <laughs> but I think, I think for us, the one thing that, that continues to get me every day as I do this work, because I do research as an insights professional, is at the end of the day, we may get a lot better at um, asking the right questions and making sure that we got the pronouns right and all the things. But at the end of the day, if you're going to aggregate all the results and put them in one black woman bucket for us to, we're going to make the same mistake, whether we've collected the data or not. So, Jen, I, you got to have us back, right, so we can talk about <laughs> what happens, you know, at the end of the data collection process. But I say that in all sincerity because I see it. I've done it. I've been under pressure to deliver something really quickly. We've all been there, right? So we take the care to ask the right questions, and then on the back end, we aggregate it as if we haven't taken the care to get the right people in the sample. Mm -hmm. So I think part of what the work that we're doing is just trying to, to show other insights professionals and those who rely on insights, this is the whole problem, right? Yeah. We're going to tackle the data collection problem here. And here's to, to Shannon's point earlier, here's some ways you can do it now to get better than where you are. And then in six months, nine months from now, we're going to tell you exactly how, how humans have said, this is how I want you to address me. This is how you, I want you to talk to me. This is my whole self, and please allow us to um, to be that and be represent that. And then your products and services should address that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think um, that that's been another topic of conversation previously about you know segmenting based on demographics versus like understanding people's worldviews and how how different people are. I think it's Mark Adams from Vice who talks mm -hmm. about how Prince Charles and Ozzy Osbourne are the same 
if if you look at their demographics, mm -hmm. yet they probably care about slightly different things. They are very mm -hmm. different people. Um, right. But if you segment them on in a survey response, they would be in the same bucket. And that there's there's more below the waterline, right? That yeah. we need to understand about people to really um, segment properly and 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 try to have empathy and understand what they care about, what their opinions are. Um, so yes, that will be the topic for the next conversation <laughs> for sure. Um, I wish we could get it get into it today. I knew this was going to be a long episode, you guys. <laughs> we have so much good stuff there's to so about. much to say. Oh, I know so much, and so. You know, at the risk of like, you know, we don't have to to read the report to everybody who's listening, but I'd love to dive into some of the specifics of what to consider um, when it comes to asking demographic questions, and maybe we can bucket them a bit and um, start with uh, sex, gender, sexual orientation, like what recommendations you guys have in that area. Do you want to start, or do you want me to start? Go to Kaya. Sure. Um, so there's a couple things here, and we do have, and, and forgive me, it's not, um, I don't have it memorized, but <laughs> I have a paper in front of me. But no, we, there's, you, you mentioned sex, gender, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation. Those are all different. Mm -hmm. And I think most people would say that's just, a, that's just one thing, but it's really different. You know, it's sex. And there's two categories that we've typically, um, uh, used in our surveys as of probably as of this year, right? Which is male, female. And some are adding in another option. So you're not bucketed into those. But gender, um, gender is male, female, but it also talks about <clears throat> established ideas of male, female. And then you got gender identity, which is someone's internal sense of being male and female, right? Mm -hmm. They sound very nuanced, but they're very different things. And then you have sexual orientation, which is all around um, who you're attracted to. And so if you think about um, just a couple of ways that we would suggest or recommend at this time, uh, not having done the research on research, but just because we're all a bunch of professionals who've been doing this for a long time, as well as reaching out to the broader insights industry for their recommendations. So you've got a, um, a male-female question, and the question really is what sex were you assigned at birth? So this is about on your birth certificate, and it is a male-female question. Um, but I don't think we recommend you do that alone. We recommend that you do that in or ask that question in addition to uh, something that allows someone to self-describe themselves. And in this question, we have male, female, transgender, and none of these. And to Shannon's point earlier, it isn't another. If it's none of those, then there is an open-ended question, what is your current gender identity? And that does allow for almost every opportunity um, for someone to identify with who they are from a sex, gender, uh, gender orientation or sexual orientation. So those are the questions that we have right now, but we are also testing many other um, variations of that. I don't think we're gonna get into too much, but we are testing a lot of different variations of that. For example, um, one of the questions, for example, is how do you identify? And it's male, female, and then identify on my own terms. And then we do ask someone mm. to specify, which is not the pre, um, you know, the pre-listed options that we have. And then there's also another question, which is prefer not to answer. And I think to give a a, a human the opportunity 
not to feel that everything that they say or every question that they respond to is done in light of how they answer the question, we do offer that option as well. And so there's other, you know, a lot of different examples like that that we are suggesting that goes into the test, but also some things that you can do right now. Mm -hmm. Right, and we also recommend that the, the answers are rotated. Um, so that allows for a little bit of, of fairness versus listing in an ABC order. Um, and that's something that we're testing. The other thing too is, while what Takai was first listing out, those three sets of questions, the male, female, um, the how do you describe yourself with the transgender and none of these, and then if they say none of these, what is your current gender identity, is you know just take a pause and think about who your population is. Because as Takaya um, indicated, there are other ways to ask the question. And if the population that you are studying, the population that your client, your brand is targeting, talks about themselves in a certain way, then bring that into the questions that you ask. So it might be that you might have to have an option that's talking about gender fluidity or talking about being non-binary. So I think it's, there's two things. There's one, there's sort of like the base recommendation, but then there's also making sure that you're customizing that by listening to who your, your base is. And let me just add, Jen is going to kill me and never going to have me back again. But, <laughs> but, but what Shannon just said, though, is, is so important, right? If, but if you're doing a study, right, where a deeper dive on the various categories across any of the ways that we can ask um, gender identity or gender at birth and things like that, if you are doing a study where the nuances within those groups are critical, then guess what? You don't use any of the recommendations that I gave earlier. <laughs> because that's just, that's just not going to give you the level of detail that you need from a segmentation standpoint. And believe it or not, you know, the groups that fall into any of these response options are not a monolith. They're different, right? They may have, and what we don't know, which is why we're doing the research, they may have different attitudes, needs, beliefs, um, value judgments that play a big role in uh, business decisions. So there's other questions, just so you know, we're trying to give you a little bit of a teaser while not draining the whole thing. Uh -huh. But there are questions that we're looking at that includes up to, you know, nine different response options for that question. Mm -hmm. Pronouns. I mean, the fact that we're doing research on, on identity in this way, I've never seen it. I've been doing this a long time. And I think the results of what we're doing here will set the path to new norms and new baseline assumptions and new eye-opening, hmm, I never thought about that, right? Mm -hmm. Because we've never really asked the question. Mm -hmm. So to, I just can't, I can't stress enough Shannon's point, which is even though we have recommendations, there, there is no, there's still a decision path that you have to take. Mm -hmm. And depending on what your hypotheses are, the guide hopefully will help you in, okay, well, which one of these questions really makes sense for me? And we also have when the application of a particular question is important um, and how those things are gonna play out in research. I think all of that are just more uh, inputs to decisions that you have to make. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The last couple of recommendations um, that we have in a paper is these questions don't always have to go up front. Mm -hmm. um, in some cases, it can be a turnoff 
in some case, in some cases, or in many cases, actually, it's better to have such a question at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so get the information that you want, and then ask these questions at at, at the end um, to allow people to sort of get into the mode of screener or, or the questionnaire. Yeah. And just also, well, what we talk about, you know, allowing them to fill fill in the blanks and allowing people to identify as as they wish. Another thing to consider is allow people to skip the question. Um, perhaps they're in a space where they don't feel either comfortable or don't want to answer that question at the moment. It it's, can be important at times to allow people to be able to skip such questions as well. And that's an interesting nuance too of skipping a question as opposed to saying, you know, prefer not to answer. Like those are two very different um actions and it does kind of give people a bit of freedom to say no i'm not saying i don't want to answer the question i'm just going to not answer the question right <laughs> instead of answering it by telling you i'm not answering it right yeah and, and you know what here's the thing you have some people that will say well shannon we we've got we've got to get a 60 40 mix right split for male female how are we going to put the question at the end, right? We are challenging everything that we know about research. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a there's a decision where, you know, if you have to use it as a screener, you put it up front. Maybe it's one version of those questions that give you the least angst. And if you need the deep dive, maybe that does go back. But she's absolutely right, right? You A lot of the demographic questions used to go in the back of the survey mm -hmm. because you don't want to give people the idea that you're, targeting them and that you're looking at their responses and, and you're going to think about them a different way. I don't care how much we anonymize research, people always think Big Brother is looking, right? <laughs> and so I, I think I, that's another test, right? You, you have to, in, at some level, provide some of these questions as screeners, but how much do you need at the screener level and how much do you need at the, I need to understand the implications of different groups level? And I think part of that has to go into the decision-making as well, whether they're up front, in the back, different versions are up front, different versions are in the back. It's a lot. I mean, we've got plenty of job security, Shannon, because there is no, right, there is no easy answer for any of these. But um, having someone that understands the nuances, and I think this paper, um, supported by so many people in the industry, is just, a, you got to read it, right? It's, it's a must yeah. read. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think the fact that you're actually doing research on how, you know, what language to use, how people want to participate, how that, you know, I think everybody would love to be able to do that research and, and not everyone can. So to have the Insights Association doing that research and then sharing it out with the community, I think is so important. Um, I'd love to jump into the next little section. Um, can we talk about some of the recommendations around um, race and ethnicity? Sure. Um, so I'll start with some since Akaya took the last one. Okay. So okay. there are um, two questions that we're recommending, and it is still sort of reflective of the 2020 census. So the first one is starting by asking, asking, are you of Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish origin? And then allowing people to say no, but also being able to break down into their, their country of origin, how they begin to identify. So there's, yes, Mexican, Mexican-American, Chicano, Yes, Puerto Rican. Yes, Cuban. Yes, another Hispanic, Latino, or or Spanish origin. Origin. So, similar to gender identity and sexual orientation, 
there's lots of nuances. People can, you can be in Spain, you can be from Spain, descended from someone who's from Spain or descended from someone who's in Latin America, Latin America, excuse me. So being able to reflect that and get that detail, because again, to what Takai was saying towards the beginning of our session, of our session you know, Takai and I are both, both brown skinned, but we are not from the same places. Um, and one of us might be Afro-Latina um, and the other one might identify as African-American. So we want to be able to allow people to reflect the nuances. Again, though that's a little bit more detail in our surveys and screeners is going to help you on the back end be able to segment better. So that's the first question, similar to the census. The second question is asking about race. What might be different here from people is that usually there's standard like five or six responses, you know, white, black, African-American, um, uh, Asian. What we're recommending here, again, similar to what I was saying about Hispanic, Latino, and Spanish origin is to break it down more. Mm -hmm. If there's anything that anyone has learned in the last 18 months, welcome. The world is super diverse, <laughs> full of colors and full of backgrounds. So I'm not going to read the whole list. We have about 15 um, recommended responses that's also um, um, present in the census. Everything from white um, down to a Asian Indian, to Samoan, to other Asian, other Pacific Islander. We're allowing people to to select and tell us who they actually are from a place of origin and ethnicity. Amazing. And I guess um, one question I have for you on that when we're thinking about the options that you're giving to people, and, and I love that that we're moving to a place of broadening so you don't have to put yourself in a box that you don't feel is right for you. What Are there any differences in when thinking about research in other regions? Like, you know, is there a difference between what options you present in a European survey versus in the US? Or, you know, what should we be thinking about when we're doing global studies and things like that? Oh, my goodness. Um, so, <laughs> wait, wait, episode two, episode two. Okay. I'm, I'm going right, that's episode eight. Okay, so here's the thing. Yes, right, I work for a global company. Accenture is a yeah. global company. And so this is what we grapple with all the time. And it being a, I've been black all my life, right? So I'm 49 years old, I've been black all my life. And, I, it, and, and it didn't dawn on me, right? Until I did some research where we had South Africa in scope, the UK in scope, and the US in, in scope. And it's amazing how if you're in a predominantly black country mm -hmm. that identifying as black is like, what do you mean? What am I? You know what I mean? That's kind of like, that didn't even dawn on me until two years ago. I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, how do you call yourself a researcher with 25 years and that never dawned on you? But I, I, I love the fact that you brought it up because you do have global considerations. You have global considerations regarding what, you, when, in which countries you can even ask the race question, mm. which poses a, a significant challenge for research when you're trying to factor in all the various ways in which people identify with themselves. There is a different list for black in outside of America than there is for black in the UK and black in the South America. Who knew? I didn't, I'm the first to admit, you know, I don't know everything, right? I got a PhD, which means you, you like to learn. So I learn all the time, <laughs> right? 
It's like a perennial learning degree. So, yeah. so yes, is the short answer. Episode eight, we'll get into that. Right, detail. right. Okay, I'll, we'll put that on pause. Just as you're talking, my mind is like spinning because I like exactly as you said, like you're not going to ask someone in South Africa or like provide African American as an option, right. like because that's that's you just don't do it. I'm just guessing that's not a thing in, <laughs> right. in Africa. But um, yeah, you're right. I, but, okay, so episode eight. Sorry, I, I almost derailed <laughs> us. <laughs> it's a good question, though. It's so, but it's so relevant. You know, yeah. Jen, as most of us are doing research, really for with the global remit, it, it's so relevant. And and I'm and I'm saying, as a researcher, which we all are, you don't even realize these things until you're in the thick of it, in the throes of. Oh well, they don't even African American isn't a thing, right? Right, outside right. of America, and it's right. just it's just my way of life here, being an American. You know, because we're we're Eurocentric too. Yeah. But, well, and I think that goes back to your point um, from earlier. I think Shannon, you mentioned this of the importance of the industry being representative of the people that we're trying to research, um, because you know, if we don't have uh, people from all over the world, from all different backgrounds, making these decisions and talking about this stuff, then we are going to miss things. Um, and I think that's true of any any business. Any business trying to serve any community mm -hmm. needs to be representative of that community in order to serve them properly. And and this is a great example of that. Um, yeah. But one but of the things that we will be doing down the line is taking a look at how to ask these questions from a global perspective. Mm -hmm. So we just made a decision to start with the U.S. market, and later on we will go to other other regions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You can't you can't do everything all at once, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's one thing I just want to want to call out, and I don't even know if this is something that's in any of the research, at least not the research I've read. But what the way I like the way the questions um, that we're recommending are asked without the backflashes. So the way they're listed out is black or African American. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference when you're looking at black or African American versus black backslash African American. Black backslash African American, say that 10 times fast, um, <laughs> sort of implies that black is the same thing as African American. And it's not. African American are people who are were born here in the US and choose to be identified as African-American. Just like there's a movement with pronouns and gender identity, there's a movement even within the Black and African-American community as to what we should be what we should be called. There are some African-Americans who do not want to be called African-Americans and they want to be called Black. Mm -hmm. There are people who have immigrated from Africa and to what Zakaya was saying earlier, they're like, what the heck is Black? Mm -hmm. So I think that even if you don't adopt the questions in full, do reconsider your backslashes because your backslashes say something versus the black or, or, or. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that's such an easy tip that anyone can implement today. You can make that change right now. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't require any resources and, and can make a big impact. Um, so uh, the next section I, I want to talk a little bit about is disability. Um, and how do we ask uh, these questions in an inclusive way in in our surveys? So I'll just I'll just start just real quick. We don't have um, we don't really cover disability in this paper, mm -hmm. but there are so many types of disability. 
um, from neural disability to a physical disability to, I mean, there's many, many different, I think there's eight or so that we're using in an upcoming survey that we're doing. And, it, you know, again, it is, are you in a place in your research where you have to understand the nuances within the disability category? Or are you trying to reflect and understand the, the differences in, you know, how someone with a disability would react or respond compared to someone in, other, in any other group? the same considerations that we talked about for race has to be made for disability. Because if I'm trying to build a building, right, uh, cognitive disability is going to be less of a factor than my physical disability. So it goes back to the hypothesis and the goals and objectives of the research. If I need to build a building and I need to understand what your my physical needs are as a person who has a physical disability, that's a very different screen, right? human that we need to ask questions to than someone who has a cognitive disability. So it's the same, it's the same, um, what's the word I want to say? It's the same thought process. It's the same decision tree that you have to make. And it's not just, just how you ask it, but it's whether or not you go the deep dive and it's how you need to represent the number or the magnitude of each of those subsets. Are they readable sub subsets? Do they need to be readable subsets? Or do you just need to have representation? Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be show nine. But <laughs> those, those, you know, those nuances are, are just as important. And I, I, would, I would bet if we had an audience here that we can see and everybody raise their, hand, raise their hands, how many have actually taken the eight different, eight or nine different uh, disability categories and, and use that to create readable samples um, with whatever levels of weighting that needs to be made. Like how many of us are doing that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think just tied to the questions that you ask about disability is just making sure that your survey or your screener is accessible mm -hmm. to any people of who has any disability because we are probably excluding more people than we should be just because they aren't able to take the questionnaire because they can't see it mm -hmm. and we're not offering some sort of program that reads it out to them or we are going let's say old school in a way that we're screening for focus groups and we're using telephones and our and our cell phones that mm -hmm. might not be the best way to to get people mm -hmm. so i think tied to the questions we ask is how we're asking the question mm -hmm. to make sure that we are including as many people as possible because there are our brand's customers too. Yeah. Um, and sort of tied to that, not necessarily tied to disability, but tied to the how we're asking the questions. It also applies to people who don't have disabilities. Not everybody has, let's say a old school again, a landline, or maybe are able to see the questionnaire fully on the phone that they have. Mm -hmm. So we have to be really mindful, and I guess this is the theme of the whole thing, be very mindful of the people mm -hmm. that you want to be talking to and be knowledgeable about what their lives and their lifestyle are so that we can make sure that our questionnaires and screeners are as accessible and inclusive so that we are getting the full might and the full knowledge that we should have to again create the best 
whatever our end product is at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so absolutely. smart. So smart. Um, <laughs> and, and, and let me just, let me just, because that is so important. Like I skipped right past even being able to answer the survey, right? And went straight <laughs> to the questions, having a bias toward that, right? Well, that's our is, balance. You're the quantum it, quality. There works. you go. I love it. We're, we should go on the road, Shannon. But <laughs> it's, it's so weird because if you're not even, like if I don't belong to the group, I'm not going to be as sensitive as I need to be. And all that, all this is just demonstrated is that the diversity of people along all these segments that we talked about is so important because Shannon may have missed something that I might get because I have that experience. Someone else might have get it because they have that experience. I mean, you need more diversity than just, is it men and women, right? Is it, is it disabled versus not? And, and I just cannot, and I think it becomes unwieldy for a lot of people um, because there's a lot to consider, but I'd say, Think about the lost opportunity if you don't. And as much as the demographics of the world are changing, everybody's got their mm-hmm. own estimate as to when we're going to be majority minority or minority majority. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah. Um, these things, these things are just not, oh, we're going to talk about it because everybody's social justice, you know, antenna are up. This is real stuff and real decisions and real businesses that that have to consider how to do all these this stuff right. Absolutely. And and that feels like a good a good point actually to you know we've we've mentioned this already in this conversation like how things are changing that the report that you guys have released will probably be different in 6 months and mm-hmm. how often should researchers be thinking about revisiting this stuff and making sure that they're you know up to date with the changing landscape so I'll, I don't, we, you know, we didn't rehearse this at all, but you know, the, the word on the street is that research is old after six months, specifically when you're doing marketing research. I would say this is going to be old as soon as we prepare the report, um, <laughs> because what, what, we are, what we're learning, right, is how to do it. So I think just like DEI, I'm going to shoot a DEI thing in there real quick. There is never a destination. Mm-hmm. There is always learning. There is always something to consider because we will have a whole set of recommendations and then we've ticked somebody off with, with what we've chosen. And so we'll have to reconsider because, oh, I wasn't in that category. I wasn't sensitive to it. It's not my lived experience. I would say there has to be an ongoing, continuous process improvement around how to ask questions. Um, and we have to even be comfortable challenging what we all see as the authority on some of these questions. And I don't want the people to come after me, so I'm not going to say the name, but, you know, we all follow guidance, you know, and hopefully we follow guidance that is um, re-upping the, the thinking on a more frequent basis. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I fully, fully agree with that. Um, and so some people who are listening might ask, well, how am I going to do that? Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of just staying up on trends. Um, whether you have, whether you subscribe to a trend report, or you're just, you know, monitoring certain blogs, what people are talking about, that's the way for you to sort of be plugged in to what's what's being changed. So, a c- critical reason why you should be really looking at this right now and frequently right now is because the younger generation, so your Gen Xs mm-hmm. um, and your Millennials, the way that they identify are shifting. So mm-hmm. if we, we think about, we talked about this very quickly at the beginning, yeah. no one identifies as one thing. 
as a person you identify in in any ways, whether it's your your ethnicity, whether it's your country of origin, whether it's what you like, whether it's your gender identity, et cetera, et cetera. What's happening right now with the younger generation is the way that they're identifying is shifting very quickly. They might say today, identify as I'm African-American and I identify or my pronouns are they and she. They might shift that based on some evolution within their their personal selves or that they've learned something new about themselves. So six months from now, they might identify differently and that is natural for them. And that has consequences for the way we ask our questions. So even our survey and screener instruments can't be static anymore because this younger generation is not static. And these younger generations is a huge contingent. So if there's anything to pay attention to, it's those younger generations and the terms that they're using and how they're identifying and the multi-identities that they insist on people using when they're, when they're talking about themselves or when people are talking about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one thing I've noticed about you know, in some of the conversations I've had about Gen Z and kind of this younger generation, they're, they're, they don't feel pressure to stick with, you know, some decision they made a week ago. They're like totally unapologetic about saying, I changed my mind and I'm cool with that. Or, you know, I'm an evolution and I'm really comfortable with, you know, with that evolution of who I am and how I identify or just anything really like any decisions that they make. Like, I think my generation, I'm, you know, I won't say it doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) Like, you know, I'm very much like, Oh gosh, well, I said that, you know, a month ago, I can't, you know, you can't change now. Like God forbid, God forbid we evolve and change as human beings. But, um, but I think you're right that the, the younger generation is kind of, you know, learning about themselves and identifying however they want to identify, but they aren't afraid to say, you know, I've changed my mind or I'm, I'm, I'm growing and I'm learning more about myself. And so I, you know, and it's important that you um, respect my, you know, my viewpoint and my opinion and my, um, my identity in that way. So, and I think that Gen Z uh, also does a really good job of influencing older generations Mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, making those, um, you know, uh, yeah, just kind of bringing the rest of us along, along the journey with them, which is kind of cool. Um, Totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's see. Um, So I, we started to hint at this a little bit, and I think we might have said this might have to be a separate episode, but how do you ensure that this sample is representative of the population um, that you're looking to, I mean, let's focus on gen pop, you know, if we were like, what does that mean right now? And how do you make sure that you're, that the, the responses you're getting are representative? Yeah, Gen Pop is, if you take a look at the census and you look at what where they say people are, that's Gen Pop. There's 12, 13% Black people in the world. Uh, well, I won't say world. Um, just use census. I'm talking U.S. specific right now. Mm-hmm. There are, you know, so many Filipino, Native American. There are so many men and women. So Gen Pop really is, does it reflect representatively 
what the census says are the number of people in the world. We all know that the census doesn't necessarily capture all the people in the U.S. I keep saying world in the U.S. I yeah, have a yeah. global mindset. So that's that's gen pop, like general population. But we all know that not all products are made equal for the general population, mm-hmm. right? Yet we do a gen pop study when we're doing development. Mm-hmm. When we're looking at um, you know what skilling trends are going to affect the future of work. Well, is that really gen pop? Should it be gen pop? Are two-year-olds going to be working? You know, some maybe be modeling. So hey, you know, there's always exceptions, right? But I say gen pop is one way to look at it. But a better way to look at it is what is the objective of the research? And I know people hate that answer. It's, it's an answer that nobody wants to hear. They just want the answer. And then give me the answer and then go away, collect my data. But what is the goal of the research? So I think you have to figure if you are specifically trying to develop a, a product and you're looking at, let's just say black populations. I, I tend to go there because, you know, I am black. But <laughs> do you need a gen pop sample for that? You don't. So if you're, if, you're, if you're trying to develop for all of the people everywhere, do you really still need a gym pop? Because if you're talking about it from an advertising standpoint, then you have to, you have to customize or contextualize, how am I going to receive that message, right? That's different. If you're talking about it from a product development standpoint, how do I use this product and service? So I would almost say gym pop should die and, mm. and be replaced with something that's a lot more um, respectful of humans and all the different lenses and perspectives that we bring to the table. Mm. Gen pop should die. That should just be like the one little (laughs) segment that clicks. Gen pop should die. And I'm sure I'm going to get some slack for it. You know, I apologize. It is my opinion. It's my professional opinion. But uh, it it really, it has to, it has to, we got to stop. Right, because yeah. it, it's just not relevant to all use cases. Yeah. Well, you're I, you're so right that like products aren't developed or you know services aren't developed to be used by everyone. No, you know they're just no. not. No. Um, there's probably very few products out there that are used by accessible to everyone in yeah. the population. And when you put it that way, I'm thinking about Seth Godin, who you know. Um, if anybody's read Seth Godin books, like he, his whole philosophy is in marketing is like, you should be developing products and marketing products that uh, like appeal to the smallest possible Mm -hmm. audience. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that just makes them relevant. Right. And ultimately that's what a lot of, you know, our clients or, you know, our businesses are doing, but yet we are doing gen pop research. Um, We are. And it's so right. I love the examples you bring in Jen, because Um, it is so true, but that is the gold standard. Yeah. The gen pop is the gold standard mm-hmm. because maybe because they haven't seen the paper that, that was written, right? Maybe, maybe they're just not as, um, they just don't have the perspective and it's hard to have the perspective when it's a, it's a uni perspective, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there's only one that typically gets considered that's changing, Right whether it's changing because people want to change it or because they're being pushed into the change, it is changing. And so I think that is just something that has to be considered. I think when you are, I met a lot of people, I'm going to just take 30 seconds. I met a lot of people in the last 18, a lot of people, like I'm Mm. purposely trying to grow my network. And 
one of the things that I heard a lot, surprisingly, is that people just fell into research. I'm thinking, I took 16 years to get a degree to do this, right? You just fell into it, and you're here doing what I'm doing, right? So I think what happens is people are exposed to what they're exposed to, right? Our graduate programs are exposed to gen pop. Our graduate programs are exposed. You know, so we're just a, a product of what we learned. And unfortunately, what we learned is still back at the gen pop. And so I think it's shows like yours, Jen, it's conversations, it's it's the idea council, it's people that are that get the fact that doing, and I purposely say doing diversity right now, mm. is not an initiative, right? It's not a task. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of doing research. And so if we start thinking about it as having true business implication, then I think we'll start to have more people in the circle, more people in the discussion and realize it's not just because we want to do the right thing. It's because we want to do the right thing, right? For mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. I, you know, you mentioned a couple of times you've met a lot of people over the pandemic. Virtual has kind of allowed us to connect across the, you know, uh, without geographic barriers, which has been fun. Can we do a bit of a shout out to the rest of the people that are on the idea council? Who else yeah. do we have? I know Bianca, right? She's on the Idea Council. Bianca Who Pryor else? is. Um, oh, God, you should have given us. Oh, the heads sorry. Up. <laughs> we have a you document that has everyone, but I don't have it in front of me. Well, um, you, if you guys can send me a list of the people, yes. I want to shout everybody out on LinkedIn or wherever for all this work. Um, Absolutely. You know, because it's it's really incredible, and I'm I'm so excited that you guys are leading this and um, you know providing a really important resource to to the industry. And before we wrap up, um, I'd love to hear like, what's next? What's next for thinking about demographic questions or for the idea council as a whole? Yeah. So one thing um, we have uh, in the back of the paper, when everybody sees it, there um, also had, I've just got to shout out logical research, you know, who wrote the paper on behalf of us. Um, that would just would not be right without mentioning them. They did a lot of the heavy lifting here. I think the thoughts of the team and the council, and Melanie Courtright, you know, her vision and what she wanted to pull out of the council. She's a taskmaster. I love it, though, because she's like, okay, well, what are we going to get done today? What are we going to get done? And so we also have other things. I'll let you, because I don't have them all listed out, Shannon, but we have um, kind of like a Dear Abby we've kind of started with trying to promote the conversation about idea. Um, we have... Um, scholarships that we're trying to promote to get more people in the industry. We we really do have quite a few initiatives um, that we are tackling. This research on research is one, doing a survey to understand representation in the insights industry. Um, but yeah, if we can send your readers to a couple of different things that we have, including this paper, it, you know, a toolkit that we've developed also has a lot of the things that we're doing um, moving forward. Yeah, and people can um, access um, some of these things, particularly the paper that we're talking about at insightsassociation.org backslash idea hyphen council. Um, and you can learn more about uh, our group and then download both the paper as well as the toolkit that includes a lot of resources that people can go to to help them define their questions to learn about different markets as well as to learn about how to increase the diversity and inclusiveness um, at your own organization 
Amazing. And we'll link out to all of that stuff to you guys in the show notes and um, in the comments of, of the videos. I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. This has been a fantastic conversation. It is definitely one of many. We might have to do like a quarterly idea council update from you guys or something like that. But uh, thank you so much for joining today. This has been fantastic. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Oh, and Jen, if you want, I can actually go through the names of the people on the idea council. Yes, let's yes, shut that I feel so okay. bad about it. I'm so glad you can do that, uh, Shannon. Yes. I was looking for it myself. <laughs> We know everybody, but you know, when you ask someone on the spur of the moment, we're going to leave somebody I'm out. I'm so sorry. So, I didn't see you <laughs> so there's Carlos Garcia, Damon Jones. There is um, Sherry Dansby, Don Christian, Dinah Bowen, Heather McGaw, Lila Rayner, as we mentioned, Logica Research, who is the leading force for the paper that we've been talking about. There is Takaya, there is myself, there's Bianca Pryor, Jackie Chan, there is Carrie Campbell, Scott Baker, Alfred Ishik, and April Jeffries. Amazing. And then, of course, our fearless leader of the Insights Association, Melanie Courtright. Yes, yes. Well, thank you all. This has, again, <laughs> been amazing. Thanks for pulling out that list. You definitely have to send it to me. <laughs> and yes. um, yeah, I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you both. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and fun. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for listening, for joining us today. We'll be back, uh, I think, later this week, actually. We've got a double week um, of episodes, so we will see you then. Bye.